5 o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94.3 The Game is going to get you home with the P-Man. In 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lock it in. Turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Days here on the Patrick Johnson Show. It's the Friday Feel Good uh, edition to get you to the weekend version here as uh, it is the final Friday entering a weekend without ECU football uh, for the uh, next uh, few weeks as uh, we're a week away tomorrow from our season premiere of the Pirate Game Day Countdown, 9 a.m. right here on 94.3 The Game. Uh, we'll have our entire crew back, yours truly, along with the uh, great Terrence Copper, who was Sensational on yesterday's show. Also, Big E, Eric Graham, Trent McGee. If you missed yesterday's program or any of our programs, go to 94.3 The Game, the brand-new website, 94.3thegame.com, to uh, pick up the podcast, the pod of any of those shows. Got some more stuff coming to that that destination and that piece of real estate soon. Today on the uh, big program, uh, our Pirate Report will have comments from Coach Houston's post-practice presser via Zoom yesterday. So stand by for that. Uh, Also, we'll uh, visit a guy who spent a good amount of years here at Eastern North Carolina. Many of you will remember Phil Wurz. Uh, Phil was the uh, sports anchor at Channel 7 for a long while, was also the weekend anchor, I believe, ahead of Todd Todd Gibson. Uh, I don't know if that was the immediate line of succession, but uh, he was there with Brian Bailey at Channel 9, uh, was uh, Phil Wurz in the mid-'80s, so we'll uh, talk to Phil he is now out in Pinehurst with the uh, Convention Visitors Bureau. And, of course, they had the big announcement last week prior to the U.S. Open Week of uh, the USGA moving a headquarters there and uh, all the other things coming with it. U.S. Open will be played at number two over uh, the next 25 years. Phil will tell us all about that coming up. And then, uh, if time allows, Nikki Novak will be with us from Fandango. Lots of things to talk about with her. Some movie entertainment options for your weekend in case uh, you need a break uh, from virtual learning. But we're going to start things off by going to the phone lines. He is Sports Channel 8's Vegas Trends guru. Uh, Sports Channel 8, the radio show over in Raleigh on 99.9 The Fan, uh, 10 to noon. Great listen online here in the Eastern Carolina market. Love those guys. And uh, Josh Goodson, pride and joy of Lagrange, North Carolina, joins us uh, here on the Patrick Johnson Show to talk, for entertainment purposes only, some of the Vegas uh, trends for the weekend games. Josh, how are you? Doing good, P-Man. How you doing, sir? Doing well, buddy. Uh, this state weight game's gotten a little intriguing as far as line movement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> guys... <laughs> Ten years, so like ten years ago, yeah. let's say let's say ten years ago, or, or in the nineties and early two thousand, if if NC State was a one or two point favorite versus Wake Forest, you would have to think immediately. Well, NC State's probably about to fire their coach because if they're that close to Wake Forest, something is terribly gone wrong, right? That that's kind of the general sense of, of how that is gone. But no, I mean. David, Dave Lawson's had it going over there in Wake Forest for a few years. 
Uh, NC State has not played yet. Uh, they had some COVID issues to get you know, start out the season. They This will be their first game. We all know about last year, NC State had a ton of injuries. They had coordinator issues. They had quarterback issues. Everything that could go wrong kind of went wrong. And so this, this game has landed, and I just looked at it. It's been around NC State minus two, minus two and a half the entire week. There's some wake money coming in, and there's a lot of people nationally who look at this matchup and think, Wake Forest might should be favored in this game. Yeah. So, NC State, uh, as a favorite under Dave Dorn uh, the last 30 times, they've won 23 games. So, it's not, not as if they're they're not losing a lot of games that they're favored in. Uh, Wake Forest comes in, like I said, they are, they're without Sage Surratt, who was supposed to be playing this year. They don't have Jamie Newman. They're not the Wake Forest of last year. They're not the Wake Forest of last year by no means. But, I don't know. I, I think NC State has a lot to prove after last year and I almost think it's a, it's a must win for Dave Dorn in my opinion because you look at the rest of their schedule not daunting there's no Clemson there's no Notre Dame but if you don't win this game if, if you do if you cannot beat Wake Forest this year at home what makes you believe you can win any other game the rest of the season right so I'm thinking NC State shows up run the ball a lot, healthy, has something to prove. And I, I would take NC State on that minus two number uh, if I had to play that game. Isn't that basically a pick though, when you get inside of three and you're the yeah. team? Absolutely. Yeah, 100% is that. And there's so many there's so many intangibles this year as far as what are people going to do. There's no fans going to be in the fans again here at, at NC State. Um but no, you're exactly well, right. This but, game is but, a- but Josh, there usually isn't after halftime anyway, right? <laughs> well, so maybe the team will be used to it, right? Maybe they'll be used to having no juice in the stand, uh, you know, like they're used to. But no, you're, you're right. Usually, if, if it's a two or three point in the team, the home team's a two or three point favorite, that's it's usually attributing for the, the home field advantage, which there's not going to be any home field advantage per se. Uh, but I. I I think there's more into this game than Dave Dorn has a lot to prove after last year. There was a lot of naysayers that, that think that he might not be the guy for the job. And like I said, if you cannot win at home as a small favorite against Wake Forest, then you have a lot of issues going on. Um, and because of that, I think he's going to have them ready to play. And I would take it to Dave by the two. All right. Are they, I mean, they're playing in prime time. So we know that yeah. 2020 is a wacky year, right? Because this is usually nooner written all over it, right? I am so upset. I would be at this game, obviously, if, if you know, if there were fans there. You'd, you would be I'd there be, now. You'd be there right this I'd, very moment starting your tailgate. If, if, I'd be there now, but Patrick, tomorrow, I believe the weather tomorrow, 65 degrees. Wow. Night game, September. You could not ask for better tailgating and better football viewing conditions in, in September. Like like you said, if it was, like if it was, if they were playing this year and there were fans in the stands, Guarantee you the weather tomorrow would be 155 degrees with no wind and a thousand percent humidity for this game. So no, there's a lot of weird and wacky stuff going on in this game. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, we've got uh, with us Josh Goodson, Vegas Trends. He's all about it with Sports Channel Eight joining us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Uh, we've got Boston College at Duke at noon. That game will be heard on our sister station 103.7. WTIB with an 11 o'clock airtime, and then the uh, kickoff uh, is a nooner. Are you taking, uh, do you like the fighting Cutcliffs in this, or, or BC, who I believe is playing their first game this year? I do like Duke in this position. Uh, it's hard to hard to take a lot from, from week one, but if you watch that Duke Notre Dame game. I thought Duke game, looked good last week. I, you know, I, it, I, I thought they, they've got some potential. It was, it was one of those situations where Duke, 
if, if you look at that final score, you're probably automatically going automatically to say, wow, Notre Dame must not have played well. Or obviously, they didn't show up. They didn't care about this game. But you actually watched the game, which I watched the majority of that. A lot of it was just Duke dictating the game. I mean, I believe Notre Dame wasn't necessarily sloppy by any means. It's just I think Duke has a really good defense. I think Chase Bryce showed enough on offense that they're going to be capable this year. Uh, Boston College hasn't played yet, have a new coach coming in. I believe it's a, a coordinator from Ohio State, their new coach. Duke is a six-point favorite, uh, and the total in this game is 52. Surprisingly, we, we always we, we would always think that Duke as a, as a favorite, per se, or excuse me, Duke as a small favorite or an underdog under Cutcliffe has generally been a good thing it has been a good thing for betters, right? There's usually an easy an easy bet. Mm-hmm. But as a favorite, Duke has not been very good um, against the spread. I believe in their last seven times that they've been a favorite in a, in a favorite of six points or less, Duke's only won two of those games outright. They've only won two of them. They've only covered one of those games. So it, the, the trends would, take, would make you think maybe Boston College is the side. But I like what I saw from Duke. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I like them to cover. I think they can win something like 20 to 10. I think their defense is good enough, or 17 to 10 along those lines. So not only do I like them to cover the six points, I actually like the under of 52 in that game as well. Uh, Josh, I got a couple other games I want to ask you about. Uh, also at noon tomorrow, out of the American Houston at Baylor, this was a game that was uh, added onto the schedule because of uh, prior postponements, I believe, for both sides, at least for Houston. Uh, what, what's the line on uh, – the uh, Cougars and the Bears. Yeah, the Cougars are going down to Baylor, and they're a four-point underdog. Uh, Baylor's minus four. The over/under in that game is 62. And I, when I look at any time that Baylor's playing, and any time that a Dana Holgerson team's playing, if the total is less than 70, it's an automatic over. I don't, I don't care. You <laughs> could tell me there's going to be 50 inches of rain, 100 mile per hour wind, and the worst field conditions you've ever played on. But I'm thinking. Who cares? These teams are still going to score, and they're still not going to play any defense. I'm of that. So I would take the over in this game. And Baylor, who knows what they have? Obviously, Matt Rule, their former coaches now with the Panthers. I believe they, I believe Baylor actually has a, a Larry Sedora's on the staff now. He is. He's calling over plays. There. Yeah. Calling plays with the, the, the former North Carolina coach. Uh, so they've got a lot of stuff going on. But Houston's got a lot to prove, too. They had a, the weird ending with De'Eric King and kind of what was going on there last year. I, I mean, Dana Holgerson, a lot of people, I mean, I still think he's one of the better coaches out there. But the last 30 games that Houston's been an underdog, they're actually 21-8-1 against the spread. Wow. So when they're an underdog, they're a good they're a good team to take. So I would take Houston plus four in this game. All right, Josh Goodson with us here. Uh, Vegas Trends for Sports Channel 8. I want to ask you about uh, UCF, ECU's opponent, next weekend, 3.30 tomorrow at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech in, in ACC land probably got the biggest win of the weekend. No one thought they were going to go down to Florida State, I included. No one thought they would go down to Florida State, not only keep it, you know, just to keep it close, no one thought they would win. They go down there, get behind 10 nothing early, then there's like a weird weather delay, but they come back. Georgia Tech actually wins that game 16 to 13 outright at Florida State. Obviously the biggest win is under Jeff Collins and, and you know and his short tenure at Georgia Tech. They're flying high, they're coming home, they're now facing a ranked UCF. 
it's funny now, UCF, it, it, again, I, I asked you earlier, 20 years ago if I had told you NC State was only a one-point favorite over Wake Forest, you would think I'm crazy. You'd probably also think I'm, I'm crazy 20 years ago if I said, hey, Central Florida's probably got a better roster and a better situation going than Florida State. Right? You know, yeah. when, you would never think that, but that's where we are right now. Central Florida has acquitted themselves to be a great program down in Florida. They continue to recruit well, and, and they got it rolling. Central Florida is a seven and a half point favorite on the road oh, down at Georgia Tech. I'm all over I that. Think, Good lord! I think that number, yeah, and that number I think is 100 percent built on everyone who saw Georgia Tech win last week, and they're thinking. Oh, they're going to keep it close again, and it should be good. I go the other way. I think Central Florida still has way too much talent, and there's also the letdown factor of uh, Georgia Tech coming home after that big win. That they're they're still not there talent-wise. They're still trying to basically uh, overturn a roster or turn over a roster that was built for an option, especially on offense. They're still trying to get through that. I love Central Florida um, laying the seven and a half points down at down at Georgia Tech. And then uh, App State, who cracked the top 25 this week at Marshall. So Marshall is, um, I think Marshall is a four-and-a-half-point underdog. App State's going on the road as a, as a small favorite. And Marshall, uh, you might, I might want to confirm this to you. I think they're one of the few, few that are having fans, right? They're having fans up there. In, they uh, had fans, yeah. They had fans for their first game. They sure did, yeah. And, and I've actually heard um, some stories of how there's a bunch of App State people traveling to this game because it's one of the few instances where they can maybe get in to see their team play. But uh, no, App State's on the road at West Virginia. App State's been a good road favorite um, as far as just winning the game. They've won their last six times. They've been a road favorite. They looked okay last week against Charlotte. The first game, and, and Charlotte had a lot to play for as well. That, I mean, if they had gone up there and won that game against App. That would have been a huge win for Charlotte. But App ended up winning by 15 or so kind of comfortably and, and kind of took the best shot for Charlotte. I think they're going to end up learning a lot from that game. What do they always say? The biggest jump is during game one and game two. I think we're going to see that in that game. And I kind of like this road warrior mentality of, and, a, and this mentality of a bunch of App fans going up to watch them play this week. That I, I like them on the road this week playing four points. Uh, great stuff, Josh. We appreciate it very much. Uh, and uh, Sports Channel 8, uh, at Sports Channel 8, you can uh, check everything out there on uh, Twitter. Appreciate it, man. Hey, uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll have our pirate report for you when we return on the Patrick Johnson Show. The feel-good gets you to the weekend edition. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's pirate report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. After Thursday's practice, Coach Mike Houston addressing the media via a Zoom press conference. He talked about the young players and kind of the preparations they have to go through, and they have been going through in anticipation of game day because the Pirates have been treating this as a game week. Um, I think everybody's done pretty good, uh, you know, with so many new young guys. Uh, there's lots of firsts this week. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we worked late game situations again at the end of practice today, and um, you know, a couple of them, they get, they get confused on exactly what is this, you know, why, what, what's this again? And, you know, you, you go over it and over and over and you just keep going over it again and again and again. There's no, there is no, uh, no replacement for experience. Uh, game experience means so much. Coach Houston was also asked about the parents, 50, attending the game a week from Saturday. Have parents 
miss the first game of their son's career next Saturday. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure my wife would be the exact same way. I mean, she she goes to everything that the kids have, and you know, I just think that's the that's the real tragedy in it all. Um, you know, and it's 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 hard. Uh, you know, John Gilbert and I talked a good bit. Uh, you know, using the 50 tickets for the upperclassmen parents. Um, you know, it's hard for me when you know one player's parents can be there and another player's parents can't, and that's that's I just think that's just a tragedy. And so, anything that we can do to get all of our families in the stands for our players next week. You know, I would be all for. Let's turn our attention to what's going on on the field. Uh, Darius Penix came up in a question about running back depth. There's your go-to question, Ben, on the running backs. Uh, this is what Mike Houston had to say. Well, Darius has had a great preseason, um, uh, a better preseason than what he had last year. Uh, he's in better shape, uh, had a great attitude, you know, very, very team-oriented attitude. He's doing a lot of stuff uh, for us in a lot of different places, and so we expect him to be uh, – you know, a big part of the game plan uh, for game one. Uh, really, really pleased with the competition, the depth in that running back room, and I look forward to seeing those guys in live action. I think you'll see Penix as a uh, short yardage and goal-to-go running back, although uh, he has uh, dropped some LBs and is said to be in a little bit better shape than he was last year, but Penix was really getting things uh, cooking before he suffered that season or what ultimately was a, a much of his season-costing kind of injury, season-ending injury for all intents and purposes. Pirate Report here on this uh, Friday Patrick Johnson show. Uh, the offensive unit as a uh, whole and their progress, that was one of the things that was uh, discussed post-practice Thursday. You know, our offensive skill kids in general have had uh, a really solid preseason camp. I'm excited to see them play. Uh, I know I, everybody is. Um, you know, it's – you don't know until you get out there and, and play, but uh, and I think that every, everybody knows the potential that we have on that side of the ball. And so, you know, hopefully we can see that come together next week. And, you know, I think if, you know, if those guys are playing, uh, you know, at, the, at, their, at their level of potential and, and gelling and playing together well, um, you know, I think we've got a chance to be pretty good on that side of the football. As our guy Big E, Eric Graham, would tell you, it all starts up front. Uh, Fernando Fry, likely the uh, center for the Pirates, uh, next week, number one on the depth chart. I asked Coach about that. You know, Fernando, you look at him. He's a guy when I got here that, uh, you know, hadn't played, you know, much at all um, and really, uh, you know, needed to be developed some more. And, and that that kid, you know, so proud of him just in the way he's developed his body since I got here. Uh, you know, he has, you know, solidified himself as a guy that you know you can depend on. He's a tough, hard-nosed guy. You can get everything that he's got, every single snap. Uh, he makes so many of our calls, you know, on our front. He's kind of the general of the offensive line right there in the middle uh, and just really made a nice transition to that center position. So, uh, you know, he's a guy I, I'm, I'm really proud of him. Uh, he's really come a long way and uh, a very solid very solid player for us. Speaking of players that are making a, uh, a transition in a sense, uh, Taji Hudson from quarterback to wide receiver, an opportunity to get uh, the uh, explosive Hudson onto the field. You know, Taji missed a little bit of time uh, during camp and, and came back uh, late last week. And so he's a little bit behind in the quarterback room. Uh, so, you know, we found him, you know, he, he was with us on the scout team at the beginning of the week on the, on the offensive scout team. So we stuck him out at wide receiver. Now, we all had talked about this possibility, but holy cow, I mean, that kid, I mean, you talk about showing your athleticism uh, and playmaking ability. 
so, you know, we've made the transition for this year. He's going to play wide receiver for us, uh, be heavily involved in special teams. And you, know, you look out there, he's taller than most of our tight ends other than Zach Bird. Uh, he's more athletic than, you know, just about anybody on the team and, you know, has that, that big frame, big hands, speed. Uh, so he's going to be a lot of fun to watch when he gets uh, kind of everything figured out on that side of the ball. And uh, Coach was asked about what the game day COVID procedures will be, if there's any more clarification on that, because uh, game day is a week from tomorrow. Uh, pre-game warm-up will be, you know, kind of the same kind of deal. Uh, we'll have a, uh, you know, we'll, have, we'll be able to dress a few more kids at home than we will be able to on the road. Uh, we're going to test um, all, 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 all players, all 118, three times next week. Uh, and so we anticipate all 118 uh, minus the one current positive that we have. We, we expect all of them to be, you know, on the sideline in some capacity for the game next week. Now, we'll have to have some distancing measures in place. We'll have to have some masks in place for those that aren't uh, playing in the game. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of what will be with our roster. The sideline will be spread out uh, a little bit more than usual. Um, obviously, the coaching staff will be in masks. Um, you know, there's so many protocols on how we're going to travel to and from. You know, there'll be a 20 feet barrier, a 20 foot barrier around the players inside the bubble. Um, you know, everybody will, you know, do the rapid return test Friday morning. Uh, we won't meet until everything's back, and we're assured that as best as we can that everybody's negative, uh, you know, within our roster before we do any of our meetings and walkthroughs on Friday. Uh, you know, there'll be temperature checks and screenings on game day morning. Uh, and that'll have to, that's a lot, that'll have to happen early, uh, you know, eight o'clock pregame meal with a 12 o'clock kickoff. So it's going to be a lot of new things. That's today's pirate report here on the flagship station of the pirates. 94, three, the game you're tuned to the Patrick Johnson show, uh, Phil words. You might remember that name. Phil was a sports anchor for channel seven back in the 1990s was, uh, in the market in the mid eighties with uh, channel nine. He is now out in Pinehurst, and uh, he is the head of their Convention Visitors Bureau. Big announcement last week with the USGA and Pinehurst. We'll get to that in our next segment here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Byram is standing by. He'll uh, tell you about everything going on in the world of sports and also run down some of the college football matchups for the weekend. Ben? Thanks, Patrick. Ben Barham here for your 94th of the game sports update. ECU, UNC, and NC State have announced that parents will be allowed in the stands for their upcoming football games. According to the universities, 350 people will be allowed to attend the games. NC State has specifically designated 250 tickets to their players' families, which would equate to two tickets for each player, allowing the additional 100 to be awarded to family members of Wolfpack opponents, Wake Forest's players. Meanwhile, plenty of exciting matchups scheduled for this weekend. It all kicks off tonight at 7.30 between Campbell and Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina are the heavy favorites by 24.5 points. Tomorrow at noon, the action continues as American Conference member Tulsa travel to Oklahoma State. Kickoff for that game is scheduled for noon. The Golden Hurricane are the 20.5 point underdogs. Another American Conference member in 13th ranked Cincinnati will be about Austin P at noon. Bearcats are favored of the Governors by 21.5 points. Meanwhile, must watch in the American Conference between two bold teams as Navy will about a Tulane. The Admirals are the underdogs by a touchdown. Future Pirate opponent Georgia State will host the 19th ranked Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. Georgia State is the 17 point underdogs in that game. Duke Coast Boston College, the Blue Devils are favored by 4.5 points. 
At 2.30, American Conference member USF will travel to Notre Dame. The Bulls are the overwhelming 24.5-point underdogs. At 3.30, 14th-ranked UCF will travel to Georgia Tech. The Knights are favored by 8 points. Marshall hosts 23rd-ranked App State. The Thundering Herd are only 4.5-point underdogs. At 6, conference member SMU travels to North Texas. The Mustangs are two touchdown favorites and a wrap it up at 8 o'clock. An in-state matchup kicks off between NC State and Wake Forest. Vegas thinks that one's going to be really close as the Demon Deacons are only one and a half point underdogs. If you're a 94 through the game sports update, I'm Ben Byron. When we return, Phil Wurz joins the PMN talking the PGA's decision to add another headquarters in Pinehurst after this quick timeout. second location in North Carolina and in what better place than Pinehurst? We go there now telephonically. President of the Pinehurst Convention Visitors Bureau, Phil Wurz, a name that many people in eastern North Carolina will remember, I'm sure, uh, joined us here on the phone. Uh, Phil, it's great to talk to you again, and it's been really neat over the last several years kind of following your uh, career path on Facebook. It's been kind of fun to watch it. Actually. It's been kind of fun to live it, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I get a lot of frequent flyer miles. Uh, I get to travel. I've lived in other countries. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Even when I started TV in Greenville with, with Brian Bailey, WNCT in 86, 87, I was like, well, you know, and being in the news media, typically most people are like, hey, I'll, I'll go to that market and I'll spend a year and I'll go on to bigger and better things. And you know what? I I spent two years there, then came back in the early '90s and worked at WITN, and and I stayed there for six years. So I spent collectively about eight years in Eastern North Carolina. So uh, you know, as I say, God's country, and it was a, a great experience. And I was only two hours away from my hometown of Virginia Beach, but uh, but yeah, it's just believe me, I pinch myself every day to wake up and to lead the tourism effort here in the home of American golf. It truly is. Uh, I am very blessed, and as an avid golfer, you couldn't think of a better place to be. And now with this. USG announcement and their second headquarters to be built here and an anchor for the U.S. Opens. Uh, it's just a great place to be. This means that uh, number two in Pinehurst will host the U.S. Open how many times over the next X amount of years? By the time this ends in 2047, I think I'll be well beyond retired, perhaps <laughs> retired from this earth, but uh, given I'm 58 right now. But yeah, it's it, it's unbelievable. We knew they're going to announce additional U.S. Opens, and we already have the one in 2024. That was already scheduled. Uh, and even before that, next year in 2021, we have the, the USGA's United States Junior Amateur at Country Club of North Carolina. And then in 2022, we have the U.S. Women's Open at Pine Needles. Uh, so, again, the, back to the U.S. Open 2024, the ones that were added were in 2029, mm-hmm. 2035, 2041, and 2047. Now, they're going to add additional Women's Opens and U.S. Amateurs and Senior Opens. So those are yet to be determined. Uh, but those... Uh, that span of time, because the first one we had here in Pinehurst was in 1999. Of course, everybody remembers the putt Payne Stewart made and that, that one moment in time that everybody remembers uh, that really kind of put Pinehurst on the map, uh, our first U.S. Open. So to have eight from 1999 to 2047 in a span of 48 years, no place. I mean, other places have had more U.S. Opens. Oakmont, I believe, has the most with mm-hmm. nine. Mm-hmm. But we will have had hosted eight in a four, span of 48 years, and nobody have had that many U.S. Opens in that short amount of time. Uh, and, you know, to, for the USGA to choose this destination, uh, there's a love affair that's been going on long before 1999 because James Walker Tufts founded Pinehurst in 1895. His son, Robert Tufts, was the first president of the USGA. So that, there's a love affair and a connection with the USGA 
and Piners that has gone back for decades, and it's just really come full force uh, with this announcement last week. President of the Piners, Southern Pines, Aberdeen area, Convention Visitors Bureau, Phil Wurz, uh, formerly of uh, Channel 9 and also Channel 7 for a number of years, joining us from the home of American Golf. It's great to catch up with Phil. Is it true, Phil, that the USGA is maybe trying to, to do what uh, the Open does with the U.S. Open, and that is not really limit, but kind of tighten the rotation of courses. Yeah, and and it'll be interesting to see what other courses. I, I would imagine Wingfoot, Shinnecock, Pebble Beach uh, would probably be in that rotation if and when the USGA decides to do that. But to be the first among those, uh, it's interesting. I did another interview too, and they were trying to compare, you know, Pebble Beach with Pinehurst, and it's like, well, you know, yeah, you can compare the golf courses, but really, when you talk about the USGA, yeah, adding U.S. Opens, but adding their headquarters and adding a media center and a museum and their testing center. So every golf club and golf ball that you swing or hit is going to be tested right here in Piners, North Carolina. Um, so when you talk about Golf Pride, that that has their global innovation center here, when the USGA comes here, it's going to spur other growth. This is going to become, we believe, the East Coast version of Carlsbad, California, where you have TaylorMade and, mm-hmm. and all the manufacturers yeah. out there. We truly believe this is going to have, uh, and it's been estimated, $2 billion of economic impact on the state of North Carolina through 2047, uh, about $800,000 over the next 10 years. So it's going to have a huge impact on this destination, which Piners has 17,000 people. We're going to grow to about 30,000 by 2030. Um, You know, they're going to be more businesses, golf businesses that move here. Uh, The the growth of restaurants and retail, what the impact's going to be, we haven't even begun to uh, understand that. But it it goes beyond just comparing Pebble Beach with Piners to number two. It It is a massive economic development opportunity. And I'm just so happy that the state of North Carolina um, you know, our, our representative Bowl, our representative Jamie Bowles, uh, Senator McGinnis, uh, our county commissioners, our village of Pinehurst. Uh, there were a lot of folks that, and, and didn't even include the CVB. We had some discussions and some things that we said that we could provide, but really this was done on the state and, and uh, county level uh, that made those negotiations, get the funding uh, on both those sides and some tax breaks for the USGA to, to get to a $30 million figure that they were requiring to make this happen. So, it had been going. What's funny about this, Patrick, is I've known about this for about six months. The right. hardest part was not being able to say a word about it, and and the confidentiality agreements that we had to agree to to say, you know, we knew this. We were sitting on this massive decision, and so my phone was blowing up the week before, going, "Hey, we're hearing this, we're hearing that." Right. And I just, you know, when I saw Tom Plashley, the president of Pinehurst Resort, uh, when it finally cat was out of the bag, I said, "You know what? The best part of this is we can actually talk about it." And uh, and man, it's been. Uh, in fact, the USGA said a report last week uh, that said that there were over a billion impressions from all the media coverage from that announcement. Wow. So, you know, it is. A, it was a global, impactful decision in the world of golf and and economic development. And doggone it, it happened right here in Piners, where it's it's always a beautiful day. No, it's a gorgeous part of the state. My niece was born in Southern Pines, and uh, they mm. lived near there for a little while. So we were you know, frequently going through that area to visit them. And I mean, it, it really is a very, uh, it's, it's a beautiful place. One way I'm sure, Phil, that you, you were able to hold this secret and you just took your mind off things by going to play number two. It seems like on Facebook, you're on there every weekend. So this is not a bad gig. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's a very fortunate thing. And, you know, it's nice when you have Tom Pashi, the president of the resort on your board and, 
and Kelly Miller from Pine Needles and Mid Pines. But, you know, yeah, it's fun to play Piners number two, but I play it really to get humbled. I don't play. In fact, <laughs> I played it this past weekend with Chris Hill, who uh, is an account rep with R State Magazine, and he shot 77. And what's funny was the, the caddies were making bets on us. They were, they were, they kind of had side <laughs> bets on how we would play. Right, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's fun to play number two and number four, the Gil Hans redesign. I mean, it's a fabulous course. Even Piners number one is a great course, but like I mentioned, pine, pine needles, mid pines, you've got tobacco road legacy. Um, there's so many other great golf courses around here, 38 golf courses within 15 mile radius. Um, you know, it truly is the home of American golf. And with that announcement, I mean, you know, a nice marketing tagline, home of American golf. And, and we have that trademarked and, and we use that, but I mean, after this announcement, we truly are the home of American golf. And it's just, it's being able to say that and to live it and to understand what that's going to happen to this destination. Oh, we've got Phil Wurz with us here, uh, worked for uh, channel nine, the channel seven for years. Uh, let's revisit that part of your career. You, you mentioned it. At <laughs> <we> the beginning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm no, curious, what year did you start? Uh, you, you mentioned this already, but you you started at Channel Nine in in what year? Uh, Nineteen eighty six, and uh, actually the news director was Roy Hardy. You got a huge check then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, and, and I and I tell people this that are that call me from the news media that that work now. We're we're you know back in the day journalism was journalism in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it's it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, uh, but I will tell you that when uh, I had a job in Salisbury, Maryland, and. Uh, my father passed away, so I came back home to take care of my mom for a while. And then she said, you know what? It's time for you to go out and find a job. So I got hired, and and I will tell you what I made. My first year at that station was $9,848 a year. Wow. So, yeah, that that's how much I made. And so, you know, that was 1986. So I spent two years there, uh, went down to Wilmington, North Carolina, came back. Actually, it's funny when I when I got my opportunity at Channel Seven, mm-hmm. Alan Covey, who was the assignmentator at the time and a great news reporter, loved the military, mm-hmm. and I think he's down in Jacksonville right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been in a head-on collision and went through a windshield, and I had a concussion. And the very first tape I sent out, um, I forget his first name, but his last name was McDaniel, was a news director, mm-hmm. and I sent a tape, and Alan Covey saw my tape on Mr. McDaniel's desk and said, "Hey." I know this guy, he's, you know, thank God for Alan. I mean, it, it changed the course of my career because I worked at ITN for six years, but he said, this guy's a pretty decent reporter. We ought to take a look at him. They were going to hire somebody that afternoon. So, um, Mr. McDaniel called me. I rode from Raleigh to, uh, little Washington, yeah. did the interview and thought, okay, I'll spend a year there and I'll be out of here and you know, spent six years there and love covering, uh, you know, cover the pirates and Steve Logan was there man, what a great interview he was. I mean, he told it like it was and, we love talking to him and, you know, they actually had a uh, pretty decent sports program at that time. And it was fun covering the Kinston Indians. And uh, yeah, I remember the Indians, the, the one year that we covered them, I think they only lost like 15 games. I mean, they were insanely good and had, uh, I think Manny Ramirez is on that team, Julian Tavares, Anar Diaz. I mean, guys that played for the Cleveland Indians and, and uh, Pete Rose Jr. I'll never forget. I went to go do an interview with uh, Julian Tavares and, Anor Diaz were roommates in mm-hmm. Kinston. And mm-hmm. so I was told they lived in this particular apartment in Kinston and neither of these guys barely spoke English. So I went to a door, went to their door, um, thinking it was their apartment, but it was Pete Rose juniors. And so I knocked on the door a few times and finally I thought, you know, Julian or Anor would come to the door where it was Pete. So he answers the door and there had to have been 
a hundred beer cans on the floor <laughs> all across the living room from the previous night's game, I would say afterward. And, uh, so he kind of pointed me down uh, a couple of doors down to where I should have been. And then he, uh, I think he went back to sleep, but, uh, <laughs> but it was so much fun covering that team and they were so good and, you know, minor league baseball. And it was just such a, such a cool time. And, and, you know, covering high school football games and trying to cover three games in one night and doing a hundred miles an hour between them. And, uh, to try to get the highlights back on your, you know, years down the road, you're thinking, what was I doing? And then covering hurricanes and, <laughs> yeah. you know, standing out there like an idiot and you're trying to, you know, getting pummeled by a hurricane, trying to get video. And, and, uh, you're like, you know, you put your life in danger. And it's like, did I really do that? But that's what you did. You had a passion for it. And, uh, we wanted to be the first one on the air with it. Just, just like people are today. So, uh, yeah, it was great times, a uh, great part of my life. And I'll never forget living in Greenville. And, uh, and, uh, those are good times in my life. Uh, it's great to talk to you, and, uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to be the guy that tells you I watched you growing up, but, uh, you know, I did. <laughs> so I always enjoyed your work. Uh, so it's been nice to sort of reconnect on uh, on social media and, again, just watch uh, the cool life. When I when I grow up, I want to be Phil Wurz because what a great life. Oh, and, geez. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where, where did your life go wrong? Well, <laughs> I'm me, flattered, a, but I— That's a yeah, whole show but... in itself, too, Phil. We could— <laughs> We could spend uh, we could spend all next week talking about that. So it's very nice to catch up with you, and uh, thrilled for this for the game of golf, but also for North Carolina and that part of North Carolina. Thank you so yeah. much uh, for the uh, time here, and Thank uh, you, we'll, Patrick. we'll talk to you soon. I hope down the road, Phil. No, thanks so much. I appreciate the time, and uh, hello again, everybody in Eastern North Carolina. It's a special place, and uh, come to Piners. It's always a beautiful day here. Indeed, Phil Wurz with us uh, from the. Uh, Convention Visitors Bureau in uh, the Pinehurst area, Southern Pines, Aberdeen, uh, down in the Sandhills, USGA relocating. Uh, many uh, things there, museum, media center, uh, also a second headquarters there, big uh, for the game of golf in North Carolina and as a whole. Spider-Man, Batman, Winter Soldier, and Pennywise. At least the actors that play them walk into a bar. The Punchline with Nikki Novak from Fandango next. All right, Fandango's Nikki Novak joins us here as we wrap up things on a Friday. Uh, we're talking movies. We're talking streaming TV shows. Nikki Novak, what is new? You really love lingering on that music. I love it. It's the magic of radio. It's production value. You will not. I know you're on the Today Show. I know you're on the entertainment magazines. You'll find nothing. On the level of the production value of this fine show, yes. Does Marvel, does Marvel call you for for secrets about how to sort of up the production value of their superhero movies? How did you know? How did you know? Kevin Feige calling. Yes, exactly. It. I've put his call on hold to talk to you, actually. So. Of course. Yeah. But of course. All right. Because uh, I have the inside scoop. You do. You do. <laughs> Nikki Novak from Fandango. Uh, let's just uh, run down the list here. We'll see where we get. Uh, we're, we're, we've, yeah, let's see how far we get. We're not quite in the <laughs> two-minute drill, but we've, uh, we won't have we will dilly-dally any longer. All right. Uh, we shall not. This is kind of a horror movie. Uh, mm -hmm. Annabellum. Tell us about this. Annabellum. Yeah, so this was supposed to release in theaters earlier this year, but, of course, the theaters, alas, the theaters have been closed. Um, but it stars Janelle Monet. She's such a superstar. You know, she's a singer. She's an activist. She does it all. And um, she plays a woman like it's been set in modern day. And she's a successful author. 
And then all of a sudden she finds herself in like a real life alternate reality set in, in the 19th century where she's enslaved on a plantation. And so it is definitely a horror movie, but it's also got a lot of social messages. And she really, they really wanted to release it now just because of the timeliness of it. Um, but that's available on our streaming service, Fandango Now, and on Voodoo and all the, you know, PVOD services. Um, but yeah, it was, so it was supposed to be released in theaters, and now it's available to watch at home. So it's, you know, fall, we get a lot of these horror movies, and this is kind of one of the bigger casts and better ones, I would say. So um, definitely fun. It's definitely fun to kind of curl up in the couch, and, you know, with a blankie at this time of year and freak yourself out. So there's that. Well, we're in the 60s this weekend here, so uh, I, I like the idea of what well, you're I'm saying. The, I'm in the 90s, here. but I right. still, I still <laughs> crank the AC, and I curl up under a blankie, and I enjoy freaking myself out. <laughs> uh, F- F- Fandango's Nikki Novak. All right, let's do another one here. Uh, the Devil All the Time. Yeah, so this is kind of crazy, because you have Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. You have Robert Pattinson, who is currently playing the Batman. You have Sebastian Stan, who plays Winter Soldier. And then you have Bill Skarsgård, who's Pennywise the Clown in the It movies, the scary clown. <laughs> right. All in the same movie. And none of them are wearing tights. And none of them are wearing costumes or capes. They're all, it's a drama. It's on Netflix. And it's a really dark movie. It's a really kind of like a set in post-war times. It's like a multi-generational story. It centers around Tom Holland's character. And, you know, he, he comes from a very, you know, twisted kind of family upbringing and, and, and then it follows him and is he going to repeat a generational problem or is he going to change his life and and I will say like he and Robert Pattinson if you wanted to see Spider-Man and Batman go to toe-to-toe they do go toe-to-toe just mm. not like I said not in their case and it's cool because Robert Pattinson has a southern American southern accent in this and he never told the director ahead of time like what the accent was going to sound like he asked to hear it and he was like nope I'm working on it and then showed up with this wild voice like it's like a high pitch very nasally it's hilarious like honestly he stole a movie just his accent so there's that yeah that's it's um like i said it's on netflix nikki novak from fandango for the kids there's a jurassic world installment yeah so if you like jurassic world who said it's for kids i love this series (laughs) so this is on netflix and it's an animated, ser- animated series, but it's made by Steven Spielberg and Frank Marshall and Colin Trevorrow, who directed Jurassic World, and then he's doing the new one. And it is actually set in the time of Jurassic World. Um, but it's basically like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory meets this, where like a bunch of kids kind of win the golden ticket to go to uh, the, you know Island Nublar and experience the dinosaurs. And then it's because it's at the same time as the Chris Pratt story. Um, they're on the other side of the island, and they sort of experience it from their side. So um, it's actually really good. I, I think it was made sort of for kids who are too young to see Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. But they actually did a really good job with the animation of the dinosaurs because they almost have a real feeling to them, even though the characters, like the kids, are animated. Mm-hmm. So um, I found myself kind of binging the whole thing. From <laughs> no kids. From <laughs> Hey, look, I'm team no kids as well, and right now I think we're a winning team as you look at virtual <laughs> education. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, sure, that yeah, part, yeah. Yes, yeah. from that part, we're on the winning team right now. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. go to something for the guys, the long way up. Listen, don't knock it. Don't say it's just for the guys, because now I'm addicted to this one too, and I'm not just saying that. So this 
I, the premise of it, I was like, okay, I'll watch it. It's, it's Ewan McGregor, who we all know also as Obi-Wan in the Star Wars <laughs> series. Um, but anyway, he has this passion for motorcycles. And he's had, there's been two series before, but they were in the early 2000s. So either you never saw them, don't remember them, or you did. But it's been a long time. He and his best friend ride these motorcycles around the world. Like they go continent to continent. So they go in this one from South America all the way up, they go through the Panama Canal, they go through Costa Rica, they go through Mexico and end up in Los Angeles. It's a hundred day journey, mm -hmm. but it is really cool because you get to see remote parts of the world, yeah. sort of experience the culture, the drama, the highs, the lows, will they make it? And they're on electric motorcycles, which is kind of a new thing. So, and he's good. Like, he's just so fun to watch. Like, he's just such a character. He's so charismatic as himself. You know, some actors aren't. They like disappearing in a role, but he's just a personality. So I really got addicted to this one. It's on Apple TV Plus, and I, I can't recommend it more. I, you know, I, it's really excellent. Like the way they put it together is kind of for everybody. Oh, we've got Fandango's Nikki Novak uh, with us here. I, I'm intrigued by this one, The Social Dilemma. Yeah, so this one, a lot of people are talking about. It kind of made news this week because it released earlier this week on Netflix, and I think it's trending in their, I'm definitely in their top 10, if not, if, if it won't be number one by the end of the weekend. It's kind of like, you know, how Tiger King caught on by word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. So it's called The Social Dilemma, and it's about these former employees of these major um, social media apps uh, come kind of are interviewed, and they talk about how our data is gathered and how, you know, are, are, are we enjoying social media or are they enjoying us? Like, are they taking advantage? How do they get us addicted? And so it's kind of controversial. A lot of people are watching it and people are either in total agreement or they're not. And that's what makes people, you know, talk about things. That, that's what makes series and especially Netflix series trend. And so it's really, it's really, really timely. And, they, you know, along with the interviews, they kind of mix it in with like a reenactment, you know, like on the news when they used to have these yeah. really bad reenactments. <laughs> right, they yeah. kind of have that and it's oh. a little cheesy. Oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> Did I just lose you? <laughs> you lost me there a little bit. I, you know, I, I like the 30 for 30s that ESPN does, but sometimes yeah. they do cheesy reenactments with and yeah. they, and they and they lose me a little. So yes, I'm I'm saying you lose points if you do the reenactment. Yeah, I don't think they really needed it to be honest, but they don't it's not so much like most most of it is the interviews and I think it's a little jarring at first, but then you kind of get into the dramatization of it. Well, I still can't talk this morning. Um, anyway, yeah, it, yeah, just yeah, watch that part with a grain of salt, I will say. But it's, um, like I said, kind of talked about right now. And it gives you a really good insight into the social media apps and kind of like, you know, how they're working and how they're gathering data and all that kind of thing. And, and probably very, I think we all know a little bit about it and how we all get addicted to our phones, but this takes it to another level. She is the star of the last ounce of courage, the holiday, <laughs> the bucket list impact point, any given Sunday, you know, her, oh you love her God. at Nikki. No Googling me? <laughs> well, I was looking up social media at Nikki Novak on Instagram <laughs> and Nikki will probably tweet about all of this. At Nikki Novak on uh, Twitter. She is our dear friend, Nikki Novak. <laughs> You'll get so addicted watching right. all of my tweets. <laughs> <laughs> there we go from the criticism of social media to plugging social media. <laughs> plugging it. Get on it. Watch it. Don't stop. <laughs> Nikki Novak, Fandango, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend.
So that's Nikki Novak, and uh, we thank Phil Wurz. We also thank Josh Goodson for being with us, Ben Byram for producing. Uh, we are a week away tomorrow from our Pirate Game Day countdown coming your way. Uh, 9 o'clock here on 94.3, the game ahead of ECU and UCF. Uh, game week coverage next week. We'll have it all for you. Jim Zoki joins us Monday to recap the Panthers and the Bucks. Also next, uh, or I should say on Monday, uh, Mike Houston show will be on at uh, 6 o'clock uh, here on 94.3, the game. In addition, make sure that uh, you tune in Tuesday. We'll have uh, Coach Houston returning for uh, our uh, exclusive one-on-one interview with him during game weeks during the football season. Uh, So all of that coming your way next week. Have a great weekend. See you Monday on the PJ Show.